Well, this morning we're going to be considering together Isaiah chapter 7. And if you're following along in your bulletin, that can be found printed there on page 8. If you'd like to use a Bible and didn't bring one with you, we have pew Bibles there for you, and our text will be on page 572. But we'll be looking this morning at Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 17. I find that Christmas is a time when the lines between what we need and what we want become a little bit blurry. (laughs) I don't know if you feel that way at all, but I feel like for the last several months I've been getting emails and seeing ads or walking through stores and seeing displays that are all telling me that this thing is what I really need this time of year. And often these are things I didn't even know existed a few months ago, uh, much less think were necessary. But all I know is that if I have those things on December 25th, the world will all be okay. So it gets a little bit blurry. And this can be part of the fun of it this time of year, I think. It's a time when, if we're able, we can indulge in some of the delights of things that we may not necessarily need, uh, but are gifts that we can enjoy. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But it does call us to stop and ask ourselves a question. What is it that we really need this Christmas? What is it that you need most of all during this Christmas time? Advent, I think, has a wonderful way of cutting through and addressing this confusion, this blurriness that we might feel as we get caught up in all that's happening this time of year. Because as we've been noticing the last few weeks, looking at these texts in Isaiah, is that they stir our deepest longings and needs that we have, don't they? As we hear the promises of God, something wells up within us that there's something that we truly need. And this morning, what our passage reminds us of is is what we've been really building to, that what we all need most of all is God with us. God with us. And so we'll see this from a passage that came over 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah chapter 7, and then we'll consider together what that means for us this morning. So here our passage, Isaiah 7, starting in verse 10. This is God's word. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Then the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So far the reading of God's word. Let's, let's pray and ask that he would help us as we consider this passage this morning. 
Our Father in heaven, we come to you humbly asking that you would meet us this morning. We all have different cares and needs and wants on our hearts. Longings that maybe we stuff down day in and day out that well up within us. Or maybe things that are constantly on our, on our mind and bring sighing and sorrow to our souls. We pray that this morning you would help us as we consider this passage in your word that you would help us to see the wonder of how you meet us exactly with what we need most through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to see him and the wonder of all that he has brought us this morning. We pray that your spirit would help us as we seek to understand a text that's thousands of years old. So help us in all this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we'll consider our passage in three points. We'll look first really at the passage with the story of Emmanuel. Then we'll consider some application in the next two points, the need for Emmanuel and waiting for Emmanuel. So the story of Emmanuel, the need for Emmanuel, and then waiting for Emmanuel. So let's notice, first of all, this story that's laid out here for us. As I mentioned before, this story goes back 700 years before Jesus was born. And this passage, is the context is essential for understanding what's going on. And maybe even as I read it, you thought, what in the world is happening here? And so context is, is really important. It centers around word that is given to a king in the southern kingdom of Israel, which is called Judah. And remember that when we come to this part of our Bibles, it's actually a little bit confusing because what we think of as Israel or the people of God had become a divided kingdom. And so the northern kingdoms, somewhat confusingly, continue to be called Israel and the southern kingdoms called Judah. And so sometimes to make it clearer, Israel is spoken of as Ephraim. And so that's a dynamic that's going on here is this northern kingdom called Israel and the message is coming to the king of Judah in the south. And that king's name is Ahaz. He's the current Davidic king in Judah. And Ahaz is in a really difficult spot, a place I think none of us would like to be. Um, The greatest superpower in the world, the nation of Assyria, is ramping up and has their eyes set on going westward toward where Judah is because in conquering westward, they can go all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And so what lies in between is the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and and some other nations. And Assyria has made it clear, we're coming for you. And so what made that complicated is the nations around trying to figure out how are we going to handle this war machine coming at us. And so some of those nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and a neighbor that they have, Syria, not us Syria, but Syria, just in case we couldn't make it more confusing, right? So we'll we'll keep track of all this. Israel and Syria say, you know what would stop us Syria is if we have a united front in this chunk of land. And so they were putting pressure on Judah. They were putting pressure on Ahaz to say, join our alliance to stop this superpower from coming after us. And um, they had been, when, when Ahaz was refusing to go along with this alliance, didn't think that it was a good idea, they had already started coming and started taking some of the territory of Judah. And so as we come to Isaiah 7, which is the context of what we read here, um, Ahaz and the people have just received terrifying news. 
and that is that Israel and Syria are coming to lay siege against their capital city, Jerusalem. They were coming to take over the city. They're going to kill Ahaz. They're going to set up a puppet king who says, I want to go with Syria and Israel and stand against Assyria. That's the news that Ahaz receives. And so um, when the people and Ahaz hear this, chapter 7, verse 2 tells us that they are terrified. It says that they shake like trees in a hurricane, (laughs) palm trees in a hurricane, just waving around, terrified out of their minds. And in the context, right before the verses of our passage, Ahaz is out inspecting the water supply to the city because he's preparing for a military plan, a military strategy, as these armies are going to lay siege to the city and seek to starve out the people so they can come in and take over. And his plan that he has is he's going to reach out to Assyria, the superpower. And they're mighty enough to deal with Israel and Syria, and maybe they'll see how great he is for reaching out to them and leave him and the people of Judah alone. And so that's what's happening. And in the midst of that context, God sends Isaiah to Ahaz to tell him to trust him. God tells Ahaz that he will deliver him from Israel and from Syria. And instead of trusting in military strategy and alliances, he's telling Ahaz, I need you to trust in me as the one who will deliver and save you. And so that all is the context of the passage that we just heard read not too long ago. And so as we come to the passage then, the first thing that we notice in verses 10 and 11 is this sign that is offered to Ahaz. The Lord tells Ahaz through Isaiah to ask for a sign, to ask for something that would confirm that God would keep his word. And notice it's, it's a blank check sign, right? It could be as deep as Sheol, the under the earth abode, or it can be as high as heaven. And so right off the bat, wow, what a gracious word from the Lord. (laughs) How well did he understand what it would be like to be Ahaz and to be the people of Judah, to think that little Judah would somehow be able to stand against Israel and Syria and ultimately Assyria by simply trusting in the Lord. He knew that this would be hard. He knew that from a human point of view, this made no sense. And it required faith and trust in God's word, in God's promise. And so he graciously, he invites Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ask for anything and I will show you that you can trust me against your enemies. But then the sign is refused in verses 12 and 13. The sign is refused. Ahaz refuses. He says in verse 12, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Every time I read that, I think that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Man, I'm not going to test the Lord. I've got this. Um, My faith is sure. Uh, So this can sound super spiritual. Deuteronomy forbid putting God to a test, but this is different. And we know this as we go on, but even if we think about it, This is different than testing God to see if he'd be found trustworthy or not. This is God offering to help him trust him. And Ahaz doesn't want it. He says, thanks, but no thanks. 
And Isaiah's response then in verse 13 makes this clear that this is not the right answer. He said to him, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? You see, Ahaz's response is indicative of what many of the Davidic kings had been doing for many years, and Ahaz in particular. They have been wearying God's faithful people. They have been wearying God himself by their lack of faith and their pursuit of things other than God's way. And the Lord sees right through Ahaz's pious words, doesn't he? And he sees that Ahaz is rejecting the way of faith. Ahaz, in reality, has already chosen Assyria's protection over the Lord's protection. And notice how it shifts. You know, back in verse 10, it says, the Lord your God. Now in verse 13, Isaiah says, you're wearying my God. And part of the reason for that shift is in choosing not to ask for this sign that the Lord asked him to ask for, Ahaz is no longer following the Lord as his God. He's choosing his own way. But in spite of the rejection of the sign, the Lord will give him a sign anyways. And that's what we see in verses 14 to 16, the sign given. And I want to read it again because we we often hear Matthew's version of this, but hearing it in its original context will help us think through what was going on. In verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, if these verses and this sign sound a bit cryptic to you, you're in good company. (laughs) Some of it is we are thousands of years removed from this situation. And some of it is it was intended, I believe, as a relatively cryptic sign. Uh, There's a lot in it that we don't exactly understand, and some of this would have been far clearer to them. There's a, a level of clarity that Isaiah and Ahaz would have had about what's going on here. But the main point of these verses is that within a certain amount of time, things will be very different for Ahaz and God's people. The word virgin here means a woman of a marriageable age. And we're not sure who she is. She could be Isaiah's wife. She could be Ahaz's wife or concubine. She could be someone else. Um, Scholars love to talk for a long time about who this must be. But bottom line is we're not sure. But what we're sure of is she is going to become pregnant and have a child. And then that little boy who will be named Emmanuel, which means God with us, he will be a sign to the people that God has not deserted them. And this will be clearly seen when little Emmanuel grows and reaches a certain age. And that's where we have these interesting phrases to us, right? Eating curds and honey. Um, I don't know if any of you are craving cottage cheese with a little honey over it. Um, And then knowing how to refuse the evil and choose the good. These phrases probably mean one of two times in little Emmanuel's life. 
either when he's weaned around three years old and he's starting to eat these other things, or when he comes of age as a young man around 12 or 13. Or maybe this is a prophecy that's appealing to both of those stages in various ways. We don't exactly know. But either way, by the time this happens, by the time little Emmanuel is doing these things, there will be some really good news. These nations that the people in Ahaz were terrified of, Israel and Assyria, they will be no longer a threat, but their land will be deserted. That's amazing. By the time this boy's a certain age, all that stuff that you're worried about, it's going to be taken care of. And that's what the sign of Emmanuel was a message to Ahaz to demonstrate. But verse 17 is there as well. (laughs) There's another side to this sign of Emmanuel. Because of Ahaz's unbelief and his trust in Assyria, Emmanuel would not only be a sign of good news, but also of judgment. The curds and honey. At first, these seem like a really good thing when we're reading it, um, whether you like cottage cheese or not. Because curds and honey to the people of that day would represent a delicacy, something that kings often ate. Because you don't use your milk for curds and you don't gather honey unless you're living in a time of abundance, right? And so when you hear little Emmanuel's eating curds and honey, you think, wow, great times are ahead, right? But verse 22 tells us that the reason he's eating curds and honey, this food of abundance, is because there are so few people in the land to eat that milk or ever gather the honey. It's a time of abundance in a sense, because it's a time of so few people. And that's what we find in verse 17. Something worse than anything they've experienced before is coming. The king of Assyria, the very one that Ahaz would turn to for protection, would become their downfall. And Assyria would turn against Ahaz and make him and the people of Judah a vassal nation under the Assyrian Empire. And the house of David would really never be the same after that. And so, that's a lot going on, right? How are you holding up as we dove back into the ancient Near East history? But let me just summarize this a little bit. In the face of powerful enemies and sure destruction, the Lord calls Ahaz to trust him. And he offers him a sign to help him trust him. But Ahaz refuses. And the Lord anyway gives this sign of Emmanuel, meaning God with us, to assure them that God will be with them and protecting them from their enemies of Israel and Syria. But because of his unbelief, judgment would also come to Ahaz at the hand of Assyria. It's an interesting story, isn't it? If it wasn't mentioned in the birth narratives of Matthew 1, I don't think many of us would be choosing this during the month of December. (laughs) Because it's strange and it's ominous, isn't it? What are we to learn from this story of Emmanuel? And that really brings us to our second point. One of the things that we are to see is the need for Emmanuel. The need for Emmanuel. One of the clearest things in this story 
is that Ahaz needs the Lord's help. These nations, the northern kingdom, Syria, they are way too powerful for the people of Judah to stand against on their own. And you don't have to be an ancient Near East historian to connect the dots and realize that turning to Assyria, who have said they want your land, (laughs) is not going to be a great move for you. Grabbing a tiger by the tail probably doesn't turn out to be a very good thing in the end. And yet that's Ahaz's plan to move forward. And so Ahaz needs the Lord's help. And notice the Lord's posture towards Ahaz in this. God graciously came and offered his help, even though Ahaz in no way deserved it. Now, we didn't even talk about the context of what kind of king Ahaz was, but Ahaz was a horrible king. The the ways that he had lived displeased the Lord. He led the people in disobedience. We're told in 2 Kings and in Chronicles that Ahaz himself was offering sacrifices to other gods, and those sacrifices even sometimes included his own children. Ahaz does not deserve the Lord's help. And yet notice how the Lord moves toward him. The Lord comes to him and says, Ahaz, I can help you. Trust me. I know it's hard, but ask me for a sign. I will show you. I can save you. And even though Ahaz himself refuses this sign, the Lord gave him and the people a sign of all they really needed. All they needed to know was Emmanuel, God with them, would protect them if they would only turn to him in faith. And you see, the story of Ahaz gives us a picture of our condition as well, doesn't it? Do you have any situations in your life seems a little too big for you? Enemies that at the end of the day you say, you know, there's really no way on my own I'm going to be able to handle this. What in your life right now has you overwhelmed? What has you concerned and keeps you up at night, wondering how you're going to come up with a plan for things to be okay? You know, sometimes we get news that makes us shake like trees in a hurricane. It can be that health diagnosis, It can be that news from your boss. It can be a relational bombshell. It can be just seeing the news of chaos in the world all around us. We all have situations that are too much for us. We all find ourselves in need of help. But so often, like Ahaz, we come up with our own solutions when we face those things, don't we? we? Our first impulse is to go out and check the water supply and calculate how long we can go on with things the way they are before we'll have to figure out something else. But these passages that we've been considering in Advent remind us that in, in all the situations that we face, whatever that might be, from the most catastrophic word that has come to the things that just leave us sighing and feeling weak and worn down, in all of those, what we need most is what Ahaz and the people needed for God to come and save them. Ultimately, what we need is for God to come and make things right. 
We need him to come and restore and renew what has been lost and destroyed. We need him to come and bring us everlasting joy and make sorrow and sighing flee away. You see, Advent reminds us that what we need most of all is Emmanuel. We need God with us. But there's a problem. You see, Ahaz needed more than God's presence, didn't he? God's presence came, but Ahaz needed to be changed. Because of how Ahaz responded to the Lord, because of his unbelief, God with us wasn't ultimately good news for Ahaz. God with us was a word of judgment. And this shows us the heart of the human condition that we all experience On the one hand, we desperately need God's help. We desperately need God with us to bring us joy and blessing and fulfillment and safety and protection. But because of our sin, God with us ultimately means judgment for us. That's what's so wonderful about this text. Isaiah points to our need for a greater Emmanuel. Our need for a greater Emmanuel. As we heard in our scripture reading this morning, Matthew's use of this passage is so wonderful, isn't it? Because he takes what happened back here in Isaiah 7 and he shows how God supercharged that with fulfillment beyond our wildest imagination. The angel announced to Joseph that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the virgin has conceived. The Son of God had come in Mary's womb. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us, taking on human flesh. But what's even better about that passage is not only is this baby in Mary's womb, Emmanuel, God come to be with us, but his name shall be called Jesus. Because in him, God has not only come to be with us, but he has come to save his people from their sins. The glorious good news of Christmas is that Jesus was not only born as one of us, but by bearing our sins and dying on the cross and living righteously in our place, he has taken away forever the judgment of God with us for all who believe in him. Because this greater Emmanuel, God with us, is also Jesus, God who saves his people from their sins. What's your response this morning to this greater Emmanuel? Ahaz shows us something really clearly. Thanks but no thanks may sound pious. (laughs) It may seem like a smarter answer for a time. But thanks to no thanks to God's sign of Emmanuel is choosing to trust something or someone other than God. And the reality that scripture points us to is whatever you are trusting instead of God, it can't save you from your real deepest problem of sin and the judgment that you deserve. Only God's plan found in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, can deliver you from your true condition. 
But the glorious news is that if you trust in Christ today, if you receive his help and turn in faith to his son, Jesus Christ, as surely as God delivered Judah from the hand of Israel and Syria, so surely will he deliver you from your sin. And he will be with you, no longer in judgment, but only in blessedness that lasts for eternity. That's amazing news, isn't it? But I'd like to talk for a moment to those who are already trusting in Christ for salvation. What do you think about God's offer of help to Ahaz? Is that just for when you come to Christ for salvation? Or is that disposition of God that sees us in our need and comes to us in our need to offer true and lasting help, is that how God really is all the time? Scripture tells us that this is God's disposition toward his people always. The heart of the covenant of Scripture is, you will be my people and I will be your God dwelling with you in perfect help and blessedness forever. And so the question that this raises for us then is this. Do you hear the offer of, I am with you to help you every day of the Christian life? Or is that an offer that just happened before you became a believer? Once you're baptized, that goes away. I have to confess, many times I look a lot more like Ahaz than I'd care to admit. Now, Ahaz, he's got things he needs to deal with there. Um, But God, through his word, is offering to help me in whatever I face, right? That's what he's assuring us of. And yet, my first thought is to go out and check the water supply, I spend most of my time trying to come up with a plan of how can I make this work out in the face of these enemies that that are far too big for me. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, sometimes it's pride. We think our plan makes more sense than God's plan. Or our plan has really worked for us so far. Things seem to be going okay, right? Why turn to the Lord for help now? Sometimes we don't turn to him to help because of fear. Trusting the God we cannot see feels far scarier than trusting ourselves or trusting others to help us. Sometimes we forget that this is God's heart toward us even now. We may think that it's our fault. (laughs) I got myself into this mess anyways, and so I need to be the one to work to get me out of this mess. Or we think that what we're going through isn't that big of a deal. We really don't need that much help compared to what other people are dealing with. Maybe we look around and we think, God has his hands full helping all these other people with all these needs. I'll come back to him when I'm really dealing with something big. Or we think that we're the only one who needs this help. Everyone else seems like they're fine. Sunday we all come and we wear sweaters and we sing with smiles on our faces. Everyone else seems to be doing okay. Maybe it's just that something's wrong with me. 
that I feel myself overwhelmed and in need of God's help. You see, Emmanuel reminds us all this Advent season that our problems, our sin, our fears, our sadness, our struggles, these are all the very reasons that Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins so that God can be with us now to help us in our need. And so Christmas isn't a time when we just all put on a happy face and pretend that these needs don't exist. It's a time when God calls us to see afresh that he is with us to help us in whatever we face. Well, what does it look like then to know God's presence and his help right now? That brings us to our third point, waiting for Emmanuel. Waiting for Emmanuel. One of the things that's fascinating about this story is God does this amazing thing and gives this sign of Emmanuel, but Emmanuel wasn't an instant fix, was he? They had to wait for Emmanuel to grow up and start eating things and deciding things. Emmanuel wasn't an instant fix. And you know what? Emmanuel wasn't even the clearest sign. The sign of Emmanuel didn't reveal how these kings would come to ruin or exactly how long that would take. But that little boy living among them showed them in the midst of the waiting and in the midst of the uncertainty, the one thing that they could be certain of. That in the good times and in the bad times, in the questions and in the uncertainty, God was with them. Every time they saw that little boy walking around or said his name, it's a reminder God is with you in whatever you're facing. And you know what's fascinating is Jesus' first coming didn't fix everything, did it? It did amazing things. And it has set all that plan to fix it all into motion. But we are still facing enemies and struggles and the fall that won't be fixed until he returns. And in the meantime, there are a lot of questions and uncertainties about how or why God is doing what he is doing. But Jesus came not merely as a sign of God's presence, but Jesus came to bring God's presence to us so that we could know every day, so that we could be certain every day that God is truly with us. The book of Matthew begins by revealing Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then how does the book of Matthew end? With Jesus saying, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the question that we find as believers is, what does it mean to live aware of Emmanuel, to live aware of God's presence with us each day? I've been testing it out in studying this passage. And you know what just a simple thing to do is? As you go throughout life, whatever you encounter, telling yourself, God is with me. Emmanuel, God is with me. What does that do right now? What can I be certain of right now because of what Jesus has done? Because of Jesus, God is with you means that he's with you not in judgment or condemnation, 
but he's with you in forgiveness and favor. And each and every moment of every day, the face of God is smiling upon you because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is with you means that because of Jesus' first coming, God is with you in a way that knows your suffering, your pain, and your struggles. Jesus, our great high priest, he became one of us. And he has felt the ache, the sighs, the sorrows of fallen humanity. And he now every day sympathizes with our plight and from heaven itself promises to give us the help we need in those pains. God is with us means that you are inseparably united to God forever. You have been united to Christ himself by faith. He is your head and you are his body. He is the bridegroom and you are the bride. And you are now indwelt by the Spirit himself so that the Father and the Son can be said to dwell within you. And what that means is that God with you means this earthly tent, these perishable bodies that are outwardly fading away are now presently temple dwellings of the living God. And he will one day renew and transform and glorify these bodies so we can be in his presence forever. Just as Emmanuel, walking around, assured the faithful that even in the hard times, they were not forgotten by God but one day their enemies would be defeated and not have the last word. So also Jesus' resurrection assures us that our enemies have all been defeated and will one day be vanquished forever. And it assures us that even the things that seem like they're destroying us are being used in God's plan to subvert Satan's schemes. And they're part of God's super conquering work to show his glory and love for us in a way that we will only understand in glory. Because if God is for us, who really can be against us? You see, because of Jesus, we can live every day saying, God is with me. And God is with me means all of these things and far more. That's just a snapshot of it. And so waiting for Emmanuel means knowing God is with us. And I'd be remiss if I don't mention one thing, especially at this time of year. Waiting for Emmanuel also means we can live every day showing that God is with us. Emmanuel was just a normal boy growing up, and yet his name, just saying it, showed that God was with them and buttressed the faith of the faithful. But now think about it in our position in Christ. As those indwelt by the Spirit, we who are just normal people, whatever that means, right? We are living, breathing, walking signs to each other and to the watching world that God is with us. How often has God's presence been most clearly shown to you 
through the presence of another person. Their love, their care, their comfort, bringing you the very comfort of God himself. The promise of Emmanuel says, you can be that for someone else in your life. It may be another believer in their struggles and in their pain. It may be your neighbor who knows nothing of the Lord Jesus, but knows what it's like to live in a world racked by sin and death. But Advent calls us to ask, who in our lives may the Lord be wanting to show his love and care and presence to, and wanting to be using us in their lives to bring that help, awareness, and presence to them? This is a time of year when many people feel overlooked. This is a time of year when many feel like they're the only ones wallowing in loneliness, sadness, sorrow, and pain. The church is a place where that doesn't have to be because God is with us, right? And so part of the message with that as well is if you are struggling, weighed down and burdened, part of the way that God wants to be with you is through someone else. Have you reached out and talked to them, made your need known, asked for help? As scary as that may be, it's part of God's plan of how he makes us aware of, as his people, that he is with us to help us until our Lord Jesus returns one day and all sorrow and sighing flee away and everlasting joy is the experience that we will have forever and help is a lot less of what we think of and blessedness is the fullness of what we enjoy. Advent is a time to consider what we really need, isn't it? I think for many of us, if I were to ask you, what is it that you really need? You start crossing things off your list, right? Oh, that's just a want, that's just a want. But I think part of the call of scripture is this. When we're asked the question, what is it that you really need? That list isn't smaller. It's actually bigger. It's bigger because it encompasses the fullness of what I really need is God in all of his blessedness with me forever. And so may this Advent season be a time when we realize afresh that everything that we want and everything that we need is ultimately found in God's presence. And the Lord Jesus came so that we could have his presence and help until he comes again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your relentless love and help to weak and needy people, to people like us who have sinned and turned away, who have countless times said thanks but no thanks to you. And yet here you are again saying, turn and receive my help. I am with you and will be all that you need. Will you help us to rejoice today with how that is true for us simply by faith in the Lord Jesus? And will you fill our hearts with longings for you and anticipation of that glorious day when we will know the fullness of what we have been created for, being your people and you being our God with us together forever? 
when every tear will be wiped away and when all things will be made new. We thank you for that sure and certain hope. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.